Hello and welcome back to the Sapien Podcast, the place where you get exclusive insights into the company that is forging an antidote to mass surveillance. In this space, you will get to dive deep into our venture and our thought process, and you will be the first to find out what's going on and what's coming up. As always, feel free to participate in our subreddit at r or just send us an email to podcast at safing.io. This week, I got to sit down with Daniel and talk about the tech behind DNS. It's not that much about us this time. We talk about the Prodmaster later on, but it's really about what is DNS, what is encrypted DNS, which kind of encrypted DNS tech is there out there, how do VPNs resolve DNS, what does the encryption protect you from, how is the ISP still able to figure out a lot, even though you encrypt your DNS queries? How do browsers resolve the DNS? And lots of that sort of jazz. So, yeah, if you're into that, let's give this a listen. I really hope you have a great week. Enjoy. Welcome back, Daniel. Yes, fun to be here again. It's been a while. Always. It's the week flee. The weeks flee. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> So today's topic is DNS, and later on also like how the portmaster resolves DNS. But I'd just like to start off with what is DNS, and like the simplest explanation is probably just having a phone book. So if you call your names, uh, call your friends, you know their name, but you might not know their phone number, and the same works for the internet as well. So if you look up saving.io, then the computer doesn't know which number to call, which IP address in the background to call. So he first asks a domain name server, which provides him with the answer. So that gives him back an IP address. And now your computer knows, okay, saving.io is located at some IP. So that is probably an introduction. Would you like to add a bit more? One one thing that's very interesting about DNS is that it's hierarchical. So that means it's not one phone book, it's not one centralized service. But um, every every name you see in the main name actually has a different authority. So you have Safing IO. So there's one authority for the last bit you you normally don't see, which is just a dot in the end, which is the root server. And then that root server tells you where the phone book is for that .io. And then that name server tells you where the phone book is for saving.io. So um, it's not one big thing. It's actually decentralized. It's actually a beautiful system. Um, in its basic thing, the whole problem, what the system has, and that's what we're going to talk about today the most, is that it um, was never designed for... Uh, for resisting attacks, and so it's it's really insecure from from the ground up, and there's so many um, approaches to fixing that, um, and we have many different security controls in there today that um, fix different aspects of these insecurities. Like, do you mean it's insecure in in regards to like the DNS network get going down, or also to attack a computer and clients, or what? 
which aspects are insecure. The the availability aspect is actually the only one that they've got right to some extent because that's what the DNS was really built for. Because before DNS, you only had your host file, which you edited um, often to add new hosts you know about. And at some point, it didn't scale, and then DNS was born to to solve that problem. And it was built to withstand outages and stuff like that. Um, but what where it fails is, uh, of course, confidentiality, which is for us from a privacy perspective very important. But also security, because there's nothing is protecting the the DNS query from being mangled by a malicious actor on the way to the server or back. So if like the DNS server responds to the query where saving.io, like a server on the way back could then just switch around the IP address so your computer thinks it's at, an, at another server than it actually is. Then you land on a clone and maybe you would then enter your credentials for banks or something. Exactly. And then the attacker can, can trick the user um, into, like, can, can abuse the trust the user has to that website to provide them with either credentials or either attack them directly using an exploit in the browser. So that is, I guess, where encrypted DNS comes into play. Or Well, well yes and no. So encrypted DNS solves the, the confidentiality problem, so the privacy problem, where every query you make is um, just plain text and open, and every a router, every server um, your query goes through can see um, who you are by your IP address and which domain you are resolving. And that paints a pretty nice picture of, of who you are and what you do online. And the, that problem is solved by um, encrypting the DNS query itself. The oldest thing we have there is something called um, DNS crypt. And then when and DNS curve, I think they're called, um, where every DNS packet is just encrypted as is, kind of. And the newer variants and solutions are DNS over TLS and HTTPS, which then just wrap the whole thing in a whole new layer of security. Even though that solves the confidentiality issue, are there like still fundamental flaws in the security of DNS? Well, we've... The, We've been deploying, like we've, like the internet has been deploying um, DNSSEC for some time now. We're far from 100%, but we're getting there slowly. And DNSSEC is a system where um, it uses this, the same hierarchy as DNS itself to add trust to the whole chain, where the name servers sign, crypto cryptographically sign the responses. And then the servers can verify that the responses are um, genuine. So the that's kind of for for apart from the authoritative authoritative server that actually um, knows the IP addresses 
um, to the um, recursive resolver you're using. There you have DNSSEC that secures that, that part. So the queries are still open, so you can still read them, but you can't change them. So um, I just dropped a new word here, which is a recursive resolver. Um, so if if you so you could of course resolve DNS fully on your own. First, ask the root name server, "Hey, where is the name server for I/O?" Then you create a connection to there and ask the I/O name server, "Hey, where is the name server for saving I/O?" And then you ask the saving I/O name server, "Hey, where is the IP address for saving I/O?" So that's a couple of requests, and when you're as a client, you are normally on a network that's um, a bit slower um, than the internet backbone. So what you do is, instead of doing everything yourself, you send the DNS query to a recursive resolver that already sits on the internet backbone and is much faster at resolving all these um, queries than you are. So there's a big speed improvement. So normally you don't do all this resolving yourself, but ask someone else to do it for you. And this is what 1.1.1.1 is about, or 9.9.9.9, or 8.8.8.8, and all these beautiful IPs. Yeah, and th there's also a big discussion in regards to this, because like many say, if you add a recursive resolver, then you, again, delegate trust and you delegate your privacy, because those servers can gulp up all the data and maybe abuse it and sell it or exploit it in another way. So if you resolve it locally, do you just have to configure your DNS settings to something local then? Or how would you set that up? Or do you have to install it on a router? You, you could do it on a router. You could also set, up, set it up locally with, with a software that actually does that. Um, but normal, normally no one does that. Because it's just too too slow. Um, it, I mean, it would be okay, but people always want it faster, and so normally the, the your router at home does a recursive DNS, but that router at home just asks the router at your ISP, which actually then does the resolving. So there are actually two recursive resolvers, or like actually one forwarder in place. Just one, one proxy. Yeah. In that sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I understand why people are moving towards outsourcing this. If you have these two or three requests for every query, it like adding two hundred or three hundred milliseconds to every query, it it doesn't sound a lot, but it you noticeably. It. It, it and also it accumulates, so it's not just one query. But you open a website, that website opens five other websites, kind of, and then all of a sudden you you got a couple seconds. Yep. So, but that doesn't it doesn't make sense to actually use that from a privacy perspective because all these authoritative resolvers they don't actually support DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS. So you won't be able to conceal your queries from the ISP. 
But does the recursive server from an external party then encrypt its uh, further queries? Or, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because the recursive server probably just gets hundreds of thousands requests every hour. So it's like people, if the authoritative server would then collect logs or whatever, he cannot associate this to a specific user. Yes, and especially the recursive server will heavily use caching to um, reduce its workload. So the authoritative resolvers will not be getting every request anyway. And of course, if there are enough users on a recursive resolver, you'd just be hidden in, in the masses. Yeah. So you encrypt your DNS query from your client to the recursive resolver, and then it does its job in the background and with caching and all that stuff, so it doesn't leak your information to any other party. And why why are like these different implementations, DNS over TLS, DNS over HTTPS, and then you said it, there was DNS crypt from long ago. What are the, their differences? So DNS crypt is, the problem that this crypt has is that it's not as easy to implement as um, DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS because it's a custom protocol and also it like uses as asymmetric encryption for every query so it isn't it, it adds um, a noticeable overhead um, a co um, computational overhead um, so that is was also I think what, what hindered um, mass adoption of the script when you say computational does that mean like user workload or yeah so the yeah. cpu has to do a lot more work because there's there is more cryptographic stuff to do with every request but would implementation be easy for the end user well it just it depends if there's a software package it's the same with dns over tls if from from the user perspective, if there's a software package that does it for you, the user doesn't care how hard the implementation was. But I think the implementation hindered um, a good ecosystem of of um, compatible resolvers for the users, and that's something that DNS over TLS in HTTPS didn't have to begin with because it's just wrapping standard protocols in each other which is really simple. Yeah. So DNS of a TLS is just a TLS connection. So it's TCP, then you have the TLS transport layer security level, um, which is the same as used in HTTPS. And then you just, instead of writing the DNS query in the original DNS um, format, to direct it to the server, you just write it to that secure channel, and then you get the reply over the same channel. So it's kind of just squeezing, taking out UDP, which is the protocol used normally by DNS, and instead of UDP, you squeeze in TCP and TLS, and that's it. So it's just replacing a layer in the stack and call it a day. So that is 
very simple. <laughs> For technical, um, um, like less tech savvy people, you you probably won't follow along. But yeah, it's <laughs> simple. And DNS over HTTPS is a bit more complex because <clears throat> they kind of they don't use the normal DNS format anymore, but they kind of have a new format where it it calls a special URL and then kind of uses the HTTP framework um, with headers and stuff instead of just using TLS, um, which makes it easier for um, writing a, um, a client from scratch because you don't have to do all the binary stuff the DNS protocol does and you have everything you need if you have an HTTP library which is like one of the most common things every programming language has and then you're good to go so it is it is somewhat different yeah I, I also heard some people on Reddit discuss like the, the differences and one of the big criticisms about DNS over HTTPS is that it also uses the standard HTTP protocol, and that means that the uh, like an attacker now like it's only one one vector like one piece to fail. It's, it's just the same. Do you mean what? Uh, what's the figure of speech? It's all eggs are in one basket. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you know. Yeah. Like even yeah. a DNS query, yeah. and that is like super potentially. Yeah, it's, it's very problematic in the end. Well, I'm. Well, HTTP is a proven protocol. I wouldn't necessarily say that just using HTTP would be a problem. the The problem I see is that HTTP is just overkill for such a simple thing as DNS. Um, well, simple from a client perspective. On the server side, there's a lot more going on. Um, so, and one thing that HTTPS had problems with is that, for example, Firefox was sending the user agent with the queries. So the server, well, this is like, you don't need a user agent at all for DNS queries, and it just made Firefox users identifiable yeah. at the server side. Why not also send the like screen win window size and <laughs> the text font size? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> exactly, that's the point. Like if you use just standard HTTP stuff, it will just send all that stuff with it. And, and that's kind of my criticism to HTTPS is that by default, it will share more information than is needed. Yeah. And you, so you, you upgrade to a more secure protocol, but you then also have to start hard, hardening it because by default, it isn't as private as it could be. So it's, it's actually not private by default, which in 2020, I think everything should be especially if you're like doing privacy stuff. So DNS or HTTPS is for privacy. 
but it's not as private as by default as it could be, which is like bonkers. Like, yeah. why? So is this the, like, if you take all the, new, all the browser which are starting to implement, implement DNS over HTTPS, and is, is like the main implementation is, I guess they all, all just use DNS over HTTPS. Yeah, for a browser, it's just much easier because everything in the browser is HTTP. They can just reuse so much of their, their stack. Yeah. Which is, like, to some extent, as I said, problematic because they also add more information that's not needed. Or forget to cut it out. Exactly. And, yeah, it's just the, it's the lazy way, I'd say. Because you could push this, like, out in a month and then maybe there's some manager saying, yeah, we'd, we go down this route because DNS over TLS would take six months, let's say. And then they, yeah, it's the daisy route. I, yeah, that pr probably. I'm, I'm not sure why they chose that. And I'd love to hear from, from one of the developers or decision makers in that sense why Firefox, for example, chose DNS over HTTPS instead of DNS over TLS. But I guess that's just technical um, challenges would be a thing. But yeah, because Firefox doesn't doesn't know about the DNS protocol because the system handles that for it. Because applications don't implement DNS; they just call a a, a library, a system library, does it for them, or use a system call for that. So they'll actually have to implement parts of the DNS protocol, which, of course, would take a lot more time. But that's that. Yeah. <laughs> so how the browser does this is instead of asking the system to resolve the DNS query, it just says, hey, no, I, I'm fine. I'll do this myself. And then it sends a DNS over HTTPS over to its default resolver. And then, like, the browser... Mm -hmm doesn't tell the system at all that it's actually resolving DNS. Yep. Okay. So, like, we, we've talked about encrypting DNS, and I think the, the main thing this is protecting you from is that your DNS queries are out in the open, and by that it usually means ISPs, like internet service providers. There might be a few hops in between if you don't encrypt your DNS, your internet service providers will know which sites you're querying, how often you're querying them, and all that stuff. And that's, that's it wrapped up, though, I'd say. Yes, so that, that's what DNS over TLS and DNS over HTTPS are there for. Um, but I, in, in that regard, I have to say that just using DNS over TLS or HTTPS won't actually effectively hinder your ISP from knowing what you're doing because you still often leak the domain name you're accessing through the HTTPS SNI header. So even though your HTTPS or connection is fully encrypted, the one thing that is not encrypted is the domain name you're accessing because the server has to know which certificate it has to send you back um, in order to create that 
encrypted connection. So you're still leaking that information. There is something along its way. It's already being implemented. It's called encrypted DNS. Uh, encrypted, sorry, encrypted SNI. What does SNI stand for? Um, server name indication. So it like indicates which server name you're trying to access. Because without that, um, back in the days, you you could only have one certificate per IP address. And especially with IP version 4, we don't have many IP addresses, and we have loads of websites we want to host. We just want to have a thousand or tens of thousands of websites on one IP, on one server, or like one server cluster. So we really need that feature um, for the internet ecosystem to work. And but that's where we also leak data. And they, there is something called this um, encrypted SNI. I think there's another word for it, um, a newer one. I just don't remember at the moment. And, but ESNI also has its own problems. So it's not perfect. It is something, it will provide some protection, but it's not perfect. And yeah, it's so, a cat and mouse game. Yeah, and, and also won't be active all the time because it needs like... Um, it's similar, some similarities to session tickets from, from as far as I understood it. And so, which means you would need to have um, something in place before. Um, so it wouldn't work all the time as far as I understood. I'm, I'm not sure about that, so um, please don't quote me on that. Um, but there are problems there too. But, and even if you... Even if SNI is encrypted, the ISP still sees the IP address. And while there are IP addresses that host hundreds of thousands of websites, there are still loads of IPs that only host one website or three websites or five. And these five are very similar. So the ISP will still get quite a good grasp of, of what you're up to and what you're trying to do. So yeah. um, enough information to profile you properly. It is it is less it is less accurate, but it's still there. Yeah. So you don't DNS of HTTPS or TLS doesn't just magically solve that problem. What it does solve of course is um for security wise um attacks on on in the last mile kind of either between you and the ISP or um, from the ISP itself. So there are providers that will just if you query a domain name that doesn't exist they will redirect you to their own search page with full of ads and stuff like that kind of to make more money out of from you. Yeah. Yeah, they themselves become the like attacker, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But of course, another one could also like target you with a banking site clone or something. Yeah, exactly. So there is also security value in DNS over TLS HTTPS. So I would definitely recommend using it. Just, just that, not just using it doesn't go all the way. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. So definitely use DNS or TLS or HTTPS.
Yeah. So to wrap it up, it does give you benefits. It's better privacy, not not full privacy. It's um, much better security. And I think the the topic I want to touch on is also even if you encrypt your DNS queries to your uh, to the DNS resolver, the DNS resolver is still an entity you must trust because that entity will decrypt your queries. And if that is Google, yeah, they will just take it all in and profile you and make money out of it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah, you're only moving trust from your ISP to whatever resolver you chose. Exactly. And as you also mentioned, it doesn't fully protect you from your ISP as well. And that is why a lot of people use VPNs. I mean, there you also just delegate the trust to the VPN. But I wanted to, to take a look at VPNs and how they resolve DNS. Like, how does that work on your computer, on your client? Mm -hmm. But before we hop into that, one, one addition to the protocols. There's something that is gaining traction, um, which is called DTT or dot dot, which is DNS over TLS over Tor, which tries to like not solve the trust problem with that new entity of trust by pushing just your DNS queries um, over over a Tor connection through the Tor network, and I think Cloudflare is at the moment the only provider that runs their, that has an onion endpoint for their DNS service. So um, that is very nice, I think. It is Cloudflare, but then, which which like we're skeptical of, of course. Um, but then when you use Tor, then you actually have your IP and it, it's much better. So that, that's something interesting to look into if you haven't come across that yet. Yeah, that sounds dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I, I know you talked with me about this as well, like uh, fiddling around, like brainstorming ideas of potential, put, yeah, the potential capability for the ESPN to do this as well, mm -hmm. maybe even as a free tier and all that stuff. But, yeah, it's it's more of a thing I'd leave aside just just for now. So back to the VPNs. Right. How do they resolve DNS? So a VPN just adds another virtual network interface to your device. And then IP packets flow through that new encrypted tunnel to another server where it then exits the network. Your device doesn't like just treats a VPN connection as a like normal network connection and by default um or I'd say VPN profiles like how they're configured <coughs> in your device don't necessarily change how your DNS works. So with bad VPNs like the really bad ones, you turn on the VPN, but what will happen is that DNS queries will go through the VPN and then just go back to your own ISP 
and resolve the DNS query with your own ISP. So, which is kind of like, <laughs> so the, the ISP sees you're creating a connection to a DNS server. And then suddenly it gets queries from that DNS server. Whose queries will that be? I have no idea. <laughs> so it adds no privacy, um, decreases speed. Yeah, it increases latency. It makes, it, it makes it slower, actually. So that is a big thing that VPNs can do wrong. Um, I'm sure there's still some of them out there that do that, but most of them actually do it correctly, and they what they do is um, in the VPN configuration profile that sometimes an application sets for you automatically, um, it will supply you with a custom DNS server. So the VPN provider will have their own DNS server set up within their um, server cluster or on the servers, wherever that they like. And so you'll be using the DNS server of that VPN. Which is normal DNS, but doesn't matter because it's through the VPN anyway. Um, but then the the VPN sees all all your queries, of course. Um, you can can of course use DNS over TLS and DNS over HTTPS, that then go through the VPN and then continue to whatever provider you chose. So the VPN doesn't see the queries, but the same with the ISP, they will still be able to get a good grasp of what you're up to. So, yes, it's better, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. And the technical implementation on the client, does it like catch all connections? Because a broad like, feature of VPNs is the so-called kill switch because sometimes the VPN disconnects. Mm -hmm. And is that just because the implementation isn't deep enough, so but to speak? That, that's not, that's, that has nothing to do with, the, with DNS, but just with how networks work. So the internet, or like IP, um, with all these other protocols that manage internet routers, um, is built to... Um, be resilient. So whenever one thing fails, it will just switch to the next better option. So if on the internet one router fails, the all all other connected routers will see, oh wait, that router is down. They will immediately adjust their routing tables to um, send the traffic over another router. So as a as a user, you will barely ever notice if a router goes down on the internet because it will just fail over to another router. And that's the same thing that happens on your device when, because VPNs are virtual network devices on your device. So you have the real network connection that just goes through your cable, through your home router, to your ISP. And then you have a virtual network device. And the virtual network device has a higher priority. So when your device decides where to send the packet, it will see, oh, I have a virtual device with a higher priority. I'll just send packets that way. 
And whenever that device fails, it'll be, well, that's gone. Where's the next uh, network device with the next priority? Oh, that's my normal one. I'll just send packets there. Yeah. It's just, that's how it's supposed to be. That that's nothing. There's nothing wrong in in how that works. That's just perfectly wanted because that's how it's built. It's built for resilience, not for privacy. And the kill switch of the VPN needs to work around that because VPNs, as a consumer VPN, not VPN for your company, is built for privacy, or they're trying to they're claiming yeah they're trying to do privacy with vpn and whenever the vpn connection fails it has to kill all other network connections else your packets will just like automatically switch over to your isp again so they're kind of trying to work around a completely wanted behavior because they're using it for something else that VPN was meant for. So they have to kind of like try to work around that with a kill switch. Yeah, that I, I feel that often happens in technology just because we build on, on legacy code. Like take yeah, the yeah, it does. DNS over HTTPS. It's of course it's just a hack. Instead of using UDP, you now use HTTPS, but then you have the problem of you have to reduce the HTTPS to a minimum and then it happens like with Firefox that it, sometimes you leak data even though, yeah, it's just in technology I, I come across this so often. You mm -hmm. have an old solution which was intended for something completely else but then you take it and you just hack it and tinker with it until it does something new. Yeah. <laughs> that does happen often. Yeah, so we have a lot of different implementations and I'd move forward to the port master and since you're the mastermind or the CTO behind this project, what did you do different with the port master or how does the port master resolve the client's DNS now? So there, there are a couple of things to this. Um, the first is we use DNS over TLS. So we, there are um, the, we we defined recently defined a default like working set of secure resolvers we want to use, and you can like read our blog post about that and how we choose them. And of course, you if, can change if, them yourself. Yeah, of course you can change them yourself, and I think the link will be in the the show notes below. And so we use the network over TLS because it adds privacy. It is a good thing to use. Um, but then we also do something else um, where the portmaster doesn't just like send everything upstream, but it figures out where does it make sense to send a query. So there are a number of special domain names um, that were defined as internet standards to be special and we handle them accordingly. So there are domains that should only resolve locally. Then um, if you're in a company, that company might decide that they have a special domain name for their internal network. 
And then if that happens, we would only resolve that locally. We wouldn't send that upstream. Or if you query other domain names that may be invalid um, and you've told the block merge to block invalid queries, we just block them outright. We don't kind of just forward them upstream. And so we try to intelligently decide where queries go before we send them up because we don't want to leak queries intended for your local network upstream. So if you have like, if you use domain names in your home network or small business network, we don't want to leak them to the provider, but just only resolve them locally. So there's a system in place that decides which query should or can be resolved by which resolvers, and then every query gets its own applicable list of resolvers, and then these are run through. And um, the first that, that can resolve that query then is taken. So we also fail over, which means if the, the first resolver in that list of resolvers for that query that isn't able to resolve, the query will go to the next one and to the next one. That is like your attempt at also including resilience. Exactly. So if if for some reason the the first resolver doesn't know the answer, um well if it, it fails at providing the answer. Um because the timeout no answer yeah. yeah, no answer is also a valid answer, but it's an answer. Um so or I should say an empty answer, because it is an answer. Um, so we try to be as resilient as we can here in order to um, both provide the best privacy and availability to ProPass users. Yeah. And since this the Portmaster implements, or like it, it's it's a software which sits deep on your computer, I'd say, or um, how exactly is the implementation or at what level do we intercept the network connections? So the Portmaster intercepts network connections at OZ level, OZ layer level three, which is the network layer, which is where IP sits. So we see IP addresses, but we don't see MAC addresses because for an outgoing packet, the MAC address hasn't even been determined yet because that happens after we say that packet can continue. And at the network layer, we do all the interception magic. And this is also where we make sure that no DNS query leaves the system. So. If you install Portmaster, you don't have to install Portmaster and then change your system's DNS servers to the Portmaster and check three times that you didn't make any mistake. Um, that the Portmaster makes sure of that. So whenever someone queries a domain um, that goes wherever, the Portmaster just redirects the query to itself and answers it. So um, you, there's no possibility of leaking DNS queries to another server anymore. 
So also if someone else on the system decides to like do DNS themselves, then they will be um, redirected. With DNS or with TLS and HTTPS, we will be, um, there's an option to block bypassing in the portmaster and we will be blocking, start blocking DNS or with TLS and HTTPS in the future. For the new Firefox feature that enables DNS over to HTTPS automatically, we respond to a canary domain that Firefox queries to tell Firefox to not enable DNS over HTTPS so Firefox will continue to use the portmaster as a resolver. Yeah, I just want to ask and go into race, potential race conditions because like the browser of the Firefox w wouldn't really tell the system that it's using the DNS resolver, but as you mentioned, that was a canary request. What did you say? There, There is, so I think they did that especially to like satisfy enterprise customers where they decided on a domain that if so the, the Firefox queries a certain uh, canary domain. And if we respond to that in a certain way, Firefox will know, okay, the network administrator of that network where I'm currently at does not want me to use DNS over HTTPS because they have their own security system set up and yeah. they want to take care of that themselves. And that's what the portmaster does. The portmaster kind of is your, is your network <laughs> admin. <laughs> and it will tell Firefox, no, do not use DNS or HTTPS. Sweet. And are there race conditions between VPNs and the portmaster as well? Like where both entities would like to take hold of resolving DNS, but who wins? Um, so a VPN and, and Portmaster are two very different things. A VPN is m like more or less nothing else than a network configuration. There is some added magic with encryption, but from the network perspective, a VPN is just a network configuration. And the portmaster is a firewall. So the portmaster um, wins against the VPN in every aspect. And the portman doesn't care if the system would like to use the resolver of your home network, your enterprise network, or the VPN, um, it will see the query, it will intercept it, it will handle it itself. So yeah. the VPN has no chance in circumventing the DNS resolving of the portmaster. Yeah, so it really is if you download the portmaster, it takes care of this and doesn't like give the potential leak or race condition or yeah if you set it up it, it takes it's, it becomes your network admin so to speak yeah and yeah that's really nice um 
Yeah, I think that's pretty much a wrap for today. Thank you for diving deep into this topic. <laughs> it's very technical. It was it was really fun. Yeah, Thank, I, thanks for having me. <laughs> I had lots of fun as well. And just to give all the readers a heads up, we are working on a documentation. So a lot that we discussed here will probably also be documented in our future docs page. And also the Portmaster is a, an app that goes really deep into your system. We are a company that believes in being open about these things. So the full code is open source. You can check it out yourself. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being part of the journey. We're thankful for everybody who gives us a five-star rating on iTunes if you're there, or just, yeah, spread the word. Thank you so much. Have a good one.